All right, the Bruins are in town at uh, Madison Square Garden to face the Rangers for the first time this season, the first time since the, uh, the devastating playoff loss last year to the Bruins. And joining me today to talk about uh, the Bruins coming to town to see the Rangers is Comcast Sportsnet New England's Joe Haggerty, who covers the Bruins for Comcast Sportsnet and CSNNE.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Hacks with Hags. Joe, how's it going today? What's going on, Neil? How are you, bud? I'm doing well. You know, uh, now that I come to think of it, you sort of let me down this season when it comes to baseball and the uh, the Red Sox and you're missing out on the double fisting stories and I had to sit back and watch the Red Sox win the World Series for the third time in <laughs> ten years. Yeah, you know what, though? I'm going to take uh, all the credit in the world for motivating John Lackey to become a slimmer, uh, better, more in-shape version of himself who actually uh, contributed to what the Red Sox were doing this year. And for the first time since the Red Sox signed him was actually the guy that they spent all that money on uh, after disappointing throughout the first you know, four years of his career <laughs> in, with the Red Sox. Well, you know, I appreciated what you did for to the Red Sox last year, and uh, even though the Yankees, you know, <laughs> fell apart and fell apart this year. But with the Bruins coming to town, you know, it's the first time they've met since May when the Bruins eliminated the Rangers in five games. Um, it, to me, the Rangers are 500 now. They're playing without Rick Nash. They, they've been on a recent hot streak since their 3-7 and seven start to the season. And when it comes to the Bruins, they, they sort of seem to be, you know, win a couple, lose a couple. They seem to sort of be the same inconsistent team that the Rangers have been. Yeah, definitely. I, I think they've, you know, they're in a decent spot. Uh, they had a little bit of a lull there uh, at the end of October, beginning of November, where uh, they were kind of going down in the standings a little bit, and there was uh, some minor concern. And then they went to to rip off four wins in a row uh, and took nine out of ten points on a five-game homestand. Uh, and that sort of righted the ship. But then uh, they go out to Ottawa, and they blow a game in the third period there. And, uh, you know, it's right back to sort of uh, that inconsistency that you're talking about. And there's there's definitely been some of that for sure. And I think that's something that uh, the Bruins are kind of looking to address here and sort of uh, trying to find answers uh, at this early juncture in the season. You know, a lot of teams uh, end up uh, searching around a bit for their identity uh, this early in the year. And I think the Bruins are definitely one of those kind of teams. Well, recently the Bruins had uh, some homecomings uh, with Tyler Sagan and Tim Thomas coming back. And we'll start with Sagan, who was trade away in the offseason. Now, obviously, there's been reports and rumors of the reasons that he was moved to Dallas. And uh, they get Louis Erickson in return, who's just coming back from the, the head injury suffered. Um, with Sagan, now, the Bruins fans, they seem to get on him. And I know there was some cheers, but there was some booing. And this, you know, for a guy who... who for the most part, single-handedly beat the Lightning a couple years ago in their cup run, and without him dressing, uh, without Julian turning to him, having that two-goal game, they probably don't get past the Lightning in that round. Do you think the treatment of him and his return was fair? And going back to the offseason, were you all right with him getting traded? I was a little surprised that he got booed. Um, I wasn't expecting that kind of a reaction, but I think where it basically comes from is that – you know, as much as he did help in that game against Tampa Bay, and it was really one game, uh, that uh, game two where he really exploded offensively, had four points in one period, and, you know, helped kind of turn things around in that series early on when things weren't looking all that great. Uh, you know, he, he did contribute to the Cup. There is no question about that, that they wouldn't have won uh, without him uh, having that monster game. But I think the way the Bruins fans look at it is, uh, if he had had his head screwed on straight and if he had been a little more committed to what the team wanted to do uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks and during uh, you know, the playoffs this past run, maybe they would have another cup. And, you know, it, 
the Bruins can forgive a lot of things. The Bruins fans, they can forgive a lot of things. Uh, Boston sports fans in general can do that. Uh, if you're trying hard and if you're, uh, you know, maximizing your potential and doing everything you can to be effective, uh, whether it's on the field or on the ice or on the court. And I think there was a general sense with Sagan that that wasn't the case, you know, and I, I certainly had reports out there and I've talked to very good sources that, you know, uh, indicated uh, that they had to, the Bruins had to meet with him during the playoffs to say, hey, you can't be going out at night and you can't be uh, off having a good time. And the social life takes a backseat to hockey during the Stanley Cup playoffs. And they had to put a guard outside his hotel room, uh, everybody knows that story, uh, to babysit him uh, to make sure he wasn't sneaking out at night. And, you know, to do that kind of stuff with an adult during the Stanley Cup playoffs, that is not good for a team. It certainly isn't going to bring out the best in that player. And I think the the lack of commitment to the team and the lack of uh, serious commitment while the playoffs were going on is something that uh, Boston Bruins fans just didn't appreciate and didn't like. And I think there was a general feeling among the team that once he signed that six-year deal that was locking him in for a lot of money, uh, that a lot of the commitment was gone. And it was he was on his own agenda rather than working hard uh, for what the Bruins wanted. And, you know, that's unforgivable once you start doing that stuff. So, you know, I can understand why they did it. Uh, the, whether I think it was a good trade or not, or they should have done it, eh, you know, uh, I think they got uh, players that are going to help them now, and I think there was a suspicion that Sagan was never going to be a top six uh, forward in a, in a top line center in a franchise center uh, with the Boston Bruins, and he's more of a 30 goal, 100 point guy for a team that's not going to make the playoffs like the Dallas Stars. And, you know, we'll see if that comes true, but, you know, that's, that's what they felt. Well, you, you sort of answered my next question there, whether you thought it was a good trade. And I know you said that you had reports out there and you have the sources that are telling you, you know, that he was he was doing, uh, you know, things that were detrimental to the team's playoff run. Was the feeling among the locker room the same that, you know, guys on the team, were they having words with him? Were they, you know, upset about his actions? Yeah, I think there was uh, there was a general feeling that the younger players weren't, you know, showing the proper respect and showing the commitment that they should have been with him being the, the, the number one culprit, uh, you know, when they were going through uh, their playoff run. And I think there was definitely some frustration with him that he wasn't pulling uh, his weight and he wasn't as committed as the other guys were. And, you know, uh, once that happens, uh, you know, there, there's going uh, to be uh, things that, that go on. There's going to be uh, ramifications for that. There's going to be players that don't want to see him there anymore. And, you know, I, I think that was definitely the case. Uh, some players are still friendly with them, uh, Brad Marchand being the biggest name, of course, among them. And there's certainly some guys that probably thought it was a mistake to give on, up on them that soon. But, you know, once it becomes a salary cap consideration and once it becomes uh, do we get rid of a guy that's done everything right and been a vital part of a, a, a core that's won Stanley Cups or do we get rid of a guy uh, who we feel uh, really lacks uh, – showed us uh, a lack of commitment to the team and a, and a lack of uh, desire to live up to the big contract that we signed him to. Uh, once you start seeing that stuff and you see some of the things that were going off the ice with him, I think they felt like unless he got a swift kick in the butt and a severe wake-up call uh, from from somebody, whether it was the team, whether it was teammates, whatever, whoever it was, that he wasn't going to change his ways and he was never going to learn. And, you know, I, I think there's a real argument to be made that he was never, ever going to, change his stripes when he was in uh, Boston and he did need a trade somewhere else to kind of wake him up and it it seems like that's happened because look he's put up big numbers in Dallas it's pretty clear he's going to have big offensive numbers at the end of the year 
But uh, I will say this. You look at his face-off numbers, you look at his plus-minus, uh, they still show that he's got ways to go before he becomes a player that can actually play winning hockey and play big, big minutes on a Stanley Cup caliber team. And when you look back to his rookie season, I mean, he he played 74 games that season, and then it wasn't until the playoffs that, you know, he sort of he became a healthy scratch. He played in only half the playoff games before he, you know, they got they got him for the Lightning series, and he sort of took off after that. But for a guy who, who struggled, he wasn't exactly, you know, number two pick stuff in his rookie season. He sort of struggled the way uh, Joe Thornton did back in his rookie season. And then to go from, you know, a guy who's struggling as a rookie with this high potential as a number two pick, then he's not playing in the playoffs, then he becomes, you know, the, they catch lightning in a bottle with him in the conference finals and the cup finals and then he you know he's on barstool sports dancing naked in the streets and stuff it's sort of his career sort of took off out of nowhere and do you think that has a lot to do with becoming such a, a well-known household name and famous in such a city like boston at the age of 18 yeah i think that played into it uh, i think there were a number of things that played into it uh with regard to how quickly he had success and what happened to him and, and to be honest with you what what it really ended up happening in my mind was he won a cup. He scored almost 30 goals in the second season. He became an all-star. He got a big contract. He basically got everything that he wanted. And at that point, you know, there weren't a lot of things uh, in his mind that he had to work for anymore. You know, I think there was a a lack of motivation because he had gotten so much so early in his career and had accomplished enough that I don't think the hunger was there. And I don't think the Bruins felt like it was there. And, you know, part of it was the early success. Part of it was getting close to a pinnacle or where he thought should have been a pinnacle in that second season, which was pretty good. And part of it was getting that contract. I remember uh, doing an interview with him before his rookie season. It was one of the first TV interviews he did in Boston. And I asked him what his goals were, you know, going into the year. And uh, I thought he was going to say uh, and what his goals were uh, as a member of the Bruins. And I thought he was going to say, you know, win a Stanley Cup. Uh, win a Calder Trophy as a Rookie of the Year, become an All-Star, you know, things on the ice. What he told me was, um, I want to get my own apartment. I want to get a really nice car. I want to get my second big contract uh, with the Bruins and start making a lot of money. And it was it was all material stuff. And it was all, I thought at the time, a sign of a kid that was really, really immature and, you know, had some growing up to do. And quite simply, in the three years he was there in Boston, he really didn't grow up much from that kid that I talked to before his rookie year. Well, you talk about you know Sagan sort of getting everything he wanted and uh, at a, at a young age winning the cup in his first season. And then you've got uh, another former Bruin, Tim Thomas, making his homecoming and a guy who fought tooth and nail for everything he's ever gotten in his career, um, never really being given a chance until you know his, his early to mid thirties. And he comes back and uh, you know he gets the ovation even though he, he he's not doing what people expected he's now in the Panthers after taking last season off um, and sort of going off the deep end with his political and government views. Um, here's a guy who, you know, he was set for the rest of his life. Uh, if he had just stayed with the Bruins, you know, retired as a member of the Bruins, he would never have to pay for anything in the city again. What's the perception now of Tim Thomas, a guy who's just a couple years removed from, you know, bringing this team back to the Stanley Cup and winning the first Cups in 72? Well, uh, the reverse, actually, uh, of Sagan. You know, I... Among his teammates, I, I think there is much more uh, dislike for Tim Thomas, uh, and his former teammates, I should say. I think there's much more dislike for Tim Thomas than there is for Tyler Sagan, because I think there's a, a feeling that Tim Thomas uh, literally quit on the team and, and kind of walked away from what they were trying to do, and he was not very popular with his teammates when he played. You know, uh, there was 
there are always issues as far as, you know, him throwing teammates under the bus for goals to be allowed and, you know, the political rants he would go on behind the scenes, behind closed doors when it was the players there. The guys would roll their eyes when they heard that stuff. So, uh, you know, among the dressing room and among the players, I think it was different. But it's funny. It was also different uh, on the ice, and, and the perception among the fans is different. Uh, Tim Thomas didn't play in that game, but they did a video tribute for him in the third period uh, when the Panthers were there because he was injured. He was up in the press box, and he got a long, loud standing ovation from the fans. And it was really the for- first sort of formal goodbye and formal appreciation uh, given to him uh, after he had left the team. You know, there was never any on-ice goodbye between the fans and Tim Thomas and uh, any kind of thank you. And I think they did that uh, in the form of that ovation, which he talked about appreciating after the game was over. But it's funny, you talk to Bruins fans, and while they get frustrated with Sagan because they felt like it was potential unrealized and a guy that wasn't willing to work hard, uh, there's a lot of latitude given to Tim Thomas because he was the driving force behind that cup win that they had, and he was the best player on that cup team. And I think there's still an appreciation for Bruins fans that he was the reason that they won, or the biggest reason anyway. So he's always going to get that appreciation in Boston no matter how it ended. You know, like I told you before, that's basically how Boston sports fans will uh, will evaluate things. You know, if you work hard and you accomplish the ultimate goal and you, you do great things and you reach that immortality level, they're still going to appreciate you and they're, you know, they're going to love you on some level. If you're a, a guy that just kind of floats around and doesn't pay the price and isn't willing to to work to your potential and it's just that unrealized uh, vast potential, they're not going to like it. And they want hard workers. They want guys that will give you everything on the ice. And it showed in the two reactions to the two players uh, during that so-called reunion week uh, in Boston with the Bruins. Well, I remember two seasons ago, you know, any chance I'd get, it seemed like there was new news every day, whether it was him saying something in the locker room or him not answering a question, usually from you, or something he writes <laughs> on his Facebook page. And it, it all happened so quickly from, you know, when they won the Stanley Cup to him becoming, you know, this sort of outcast with the team. Is there any reason, does anyone even know the reason of how things sort of spiraled out of control from winning a cup in June and then by, you know, that same winter just being sort of on his own in the locker room? Yeah, I, I think there were a few different things going on. You know, I think there was uh, a feeling like he wasn't appreciated in Boston. Uh, there was the sense from his part, and rightfully so, that they weren't going to extend him contract-wise, and they were probably going to look to trade him in that last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, that they the no-trade clause was gone in that final year of his deal and looking for cap space, so that it was there was a high likelihood they were going to trade him anyway. And uh, also, the lockout played a big role, too. Uh, he was uh, His actual salary level was dropping down to $3 million in that last year. And, uh, and given the lockout, you know, if you felt like there was going to be half a season, you're only going to be making, you know, $1.1, $1.3 million, whatever it is. Uh, for a guy like, you know, I say only, but for a guy like Tim Thomas, I think he probably felt like it wasn't worth the money. Uh, to come back and play a partial season when he could just kind of walk away for what was really short money when he thought, you know, he should have been paid a lot more money than that. So that was a big part of it, and I think there was also a general sense that uh, the team didn't have his back uh, during the White House stuff and that he didn't want to play there anymore, and the team was fed up with him and didn't want him either. So it was kind of a mutual thing, and maybe he... uh, Maybe there was a uh, you know a, a premature breakup on his part before they could break up with him. You know, <laughs> he said, "Forget about you breaking up with me. I'm going to walk away from you first. It was one of those deals because the Bruins were done with him one way or the other uh, going into that final year. You know, the walking away thing just kind of hamstrung them with the contract. 
And I know that, you know, Claude Julia gets a little testy, especially when he has to deal with questions about former players, like with Kessel coming back and Sagan and then Thomas. But um, I thought it was a little odd that he would say, you know, while Thomas was a big part of the Stanley Cup run and was the Conn Smythe winner, that uh, he wouldn't have been able to win that award. They wouldn't have been able to win the Cup without a strong supporting cast. And while that holds true, it just seemed a little to me like, you know, when you go back and look at the way they did win it, he, he, was, he was the Conn Smythe winner for a reason. And to me, it just seemed like... He, a little shot by by Julian that didn't need to be taken. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I can see that on some level, but I think on the Bruins side, uh, they've heard far too many times that he was the only reason that they won, and you know I think there's a lot of umbrage taken with that. You know, I, I think all the other players uh, that contributed heavily. We talked about Sagan earlier in that game he had against Tampa Bay. You know, the shutdown work that Char and Seidenberg did. Uh, the way Marchand and Bergeron played, uh, and Marchand, I should say, and Bergeron played in the, the Cup Finals against Vancouver. You know, the, there were a lot of different things uh, at play in that series uh, that that helped them win. Nathan Horton's game-winning goals uh, that that helped them win, and they wouldn't have been able to win without it. And you know, I. I I think the only reason he said that is because there are a lot of people that very easily and very cavalierly say he was the only reason that they won. Was he the biggest reason? Yes. And I think Claude Julian actually agreed with that when uh, the question was posed to him. And then he answered, but also this, because I think he wanted the team to also get some credit uh, that was much deserved, and rightfully so. You know, and, and bottom line, I think you're right on some level that clearly there was some awkwardness there and there was some tension there between Coach and uh, his teammates and Tim Thomas when he was leaving. And, you know, I think that, that's why I thought it was better for all parties that they, they kind of uh, had the divorce when they did. And when you look at this Bruins team now coming here to Madison Square Garden for the first time, they sort of they look pretty much the exact same team that, that knocked the Rangers out last year, the team that went to the Cup. Uh, they're a deep team. They've got a lot of secondary scoring options. They're not, you know, they don't have really any flashy superstar guys on offense. There's no point-of-game guys. There's no, you know, point-plus game guys. Uh, but they do have a, now Jerome McGinlaw, who was with the Penguins last season, uh, chose not to go to the Bruins, instead go to the Penguins, ends up getting knocked out. How is he? How is he fit in now here? You know, at the tail end of his career, thirty-six years old, on a team that he sort of snubbed last year. Um, how is he working out so far early on in the season in Boston? No, he's working out. You know, he's actually done really well, and I think he's helped some consistency with uh, Milan Lucic and David Krejci. Uh, where in the past they sort of took their lead a little bit from Nathan Horton, who was uh, a very inconsistent and streaky force from game to game. You know, we would go uh, weeks without really showing up and then would just explode for a bunch of goals in a, in a two- or three-week period. And uh, I think those two players, because they played with him, also took on the personality of that player. But you see them this year playing with a Ginla, who was so much more consistent and so much more of uh, giving him the same thing night in and night out, whether it's being incredibly strong on the puck, going to the right places, uh, it's still skating very well for a 36-year-old guy, playing at all, uh, both ends, even killing penalties. Uh, he gives the same effort every single night, and I think that's caused Krejci and Lucic to also kind of follow suit and do the same thing. And I think that's why you're seeing those two guys have the best starts to their uh, seasons in their career this year is playing with him. He's really uh, just uh, merged beautifully and perfectly with what the Bruins do and, and fallen right in line with the Bruins' way of doing things. Louis Erickson, it's been a little bit uh, more of a difficult transition, although he's scored in six games in a row or get points in six games in a row now, and he's really kind of fallen into line uh, with what the Bruins do as well. So both guys are where they need to be now. It just took Erickson a little bit longer than Aginla. 
I know it's not ideal conditions for the Bruins uh, to be going to New York the night after they're in Carolina with the the Rangers on this mini two-game homestand, but uh, you know we're going to be seeing the Bruins here for the first time in New York. Not everyone has had a chance to see them play this season. Um, what would you say, you know, as a guy who who watches them every game, who's around the team, you know, how is this team you know, compared to what we saw last year, the team that knocked the knocked the Rangers down, the team that won on the run to the Cup? They're essentially the same. I mean, they've got some new pieces, obviously. Again, was new. Erickson's new. Uh, I still think they can be even, especially Erickson, even though he's starting to score points, I think he can be even better and will continue to merge uh, and sort of uh, meld into what the Bruins do with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand uh, to an even higher level. I still think the chemistry there isn't what it's exactly going to be. Uh, at the end of the day. But you're going to see a team uh, very similar that relies on depth, uh, has a better third line this year than they did in the past with Carl Soderberg and Riley Smith, who's been excellent for them, and uh, a young defenseman core that uh, Rangers fans are very familiar with uh, from last year. Tory Krug has been uh, a game-changer for them this year. Uh, but everybody in uh, Madison Square Garden saw that last year and is uh, well-versed with that. Matt Barkowski, Dougie Hamilton, the same thing. You know, it's a lot of the same players. They still play the same style. Uh, the power play is a little bit better. The penalty kill is uh, killed 29 straight, which is the most since 2007. So they're in a pretty good spot right now. All right, Joe. Well, I appreciate the time coming on. And, uh, you know, they, they play again uh, after Thanksgiving and then just the, uh, one other time this season. So hopefully we'll have another chance to talk and uh, look forward to talking to you again. You got it, Neil. My pleasure, buddy.